Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My sister, though, was a hippie. She was flower power, the whole thing. So she got me into music very early. I'll tell you a quick story. I, I think I was six years old when Meet the Beatles came out. <laughs> and she literally stole money from my piggy bank. To oh, no. Go down Mel- yeah, to go down to Mel's record rack in Brooklyn. And to this day, I never let her live it down. I'll always remember it. An album back then was like four bucks or whatever it was. But yeah. But but she introduced me to everyone from the Allman Brothers to Quicksilver to, of course, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. One of the biggest disappointments in my sister's life was that my parents wouldn't let her go to Woodstock. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson. Joining me today is my new Springsteen fan, Andrew Bernstein. Steen? Stein? Bernstein, yes. Bernstein, Bernstein yes. And we've already spent 10 minutes talking before I hit record. So this will be a fun one. Andy, welcome to the podcast. Jesse, it's so great to to be on with you, man. Somebody I can finally talk Bruce with that that gets me, and and I'm excited. I listen to your show, and I'm glad to be part of it, so thank you. Andy, that's very kind of you to say. That is a common theme that I'm just glad I'm not having to bore my lovely bride or my family, my kids, or my coworkers about Bruce, and yeah, we... As Mitch Slater says, it's an obsession. No, it's a passion, not an obsession, right? I would say it's about equal of both, quite frankly, in my life. Yeah, for sure. I can't tell you how often I'll go, hey, Linda, you want to hear a story? Is it about Bruce? Okay, (laughs) never mind. (laughs) Yeah, I get that too. Uh, My my kids and my wife, but that's okay. That's why we have each other and the whole Bruce community. That is one of the reasons I do this podcast and it have that. It was, was especially during the pandemic, it was really important while we're like, are we ever going to get a new album? Are we ever going to get a new tour? Mm -hmm. And to spend time talking to people was really special. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. yeah. All right. I always like to start at the beginning. Tell us about yourself. 
Born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. Big sports fan growing up. Was a Mets fan. Was not allowed to be a Yankees fan because my family were all Brooklyn Dodger fans from generations. Hated the Yankees. But I was a Mets fan. I was a big Rangers hockey fan, quite frankly. My dad had uh, season tickets to the Rangers from when I, I can, maybe I was eight, nine years old. I went to almost every game. So I left for college. Was into music. Was, of course, into photography. That became my career. But in high school, I really got the bug. Ended up going to University of Massachusetts, which was um, a great place to party and have a lot of fun and have a lot of good friends. And that's where actually my introduction to Bruce started, which we can talk about. Um, and I was working for, our, we had a, a college newspaper on campus, which was wonderful, but I wasn't learning photography per se. And, and I really wasn't learning about how it could become a career. So I made a life-changing decision at 19 in uh, 1978. I moved to uh, Pasadena, California. Uh, my mom was living out there at the time, wasn't an orphan, but I was still a fish out of water. I ended up going to a school called Art Center College of Design in Pasadena. And from there, my career really started to percolate. I was an assistant for Sports Illustrated. I was taken to every conceivable sporting event you could imagine to help the photographers and learn lighting and indoor arenas and things like that. I was shooting some concerts. I was shooting whatever I could get a credential to shoot, quite frankly. And uh, yes, honestly, Jesse in the right place at the right time. Luck uh, has a way of uh, producing itself when you least expect it, but you put your, yourself in position to have luck and moving to California, you know, I put myself in that position when the NBA was really starting to explode in popularity, it was the beginning of the Showtime era. I like to say my rookie year was Magic's second year in the NBA. We all grew up together during Showtime, and I became the Dodgers team photographer in 84. That lasted for 11 years. I was doing a major juggling act all that time, and finally had to give up the Dodgers because my NBA commitment had become you know so big. I was also the official photographer for the sports arena and Coliseum, which, as Bruce fans know, is very near and dear to all our hearts because he loved both of those buildings. And when Staples Center opened in 1999, I became the director of photography, still am, 24 years in, and just started my 43rd year as the senior official NBA photographer. It's mind-blowing. Um I was lucky enough to be honored by the Basketball Hall of Fame a number of years ago. I'm only the second photographer to receive the Kurt Gowdy Award there. And I made a joke during my speech that I'm not retired and I'm not dead. So why are they giving me this award? It's, <laughs> but it's, kinda, it's like Bruce's thing about naming a building after me, right? Exactly. Like, I, I, may get, I may get arrested yeah. for drinking in public and then you'll right. be embarrassed. <laughs> I love that speech. That was great. And I actually wove Bruce into my speech, which rolled a few eyes at my family table because they knew I had to do it, of course. But Bruce spoke so eloquently during the, the second River Tour, the Revisited yeah. Tour, about time and getting older and valuing time and not getting time back. And Getting that award really made me reflect on my career and understanding that I'm still doing what I love to do, but maybe I should value it a little more, a little be a little more, more present. And anyway, I don't want to get off on too many tangents, no. but the most recent you know, tour that I, I saw him a couple of times on this last tour before he had to cancel, he's obviously being incredibly nostalgic 
And uh, it's a wonderful thing to see. And, and it's very inspiring for me as I continue to do what I do 40 plus years in. A lot to unpack there. And I'm, but I think I've got to start out with controversy. No, not the static set list. So we will get to that. As someone whose Texas Rangers won the World Series this year for the Ooh. first time ever, I had no problem with the extended playoff series. Right. As perhaps a Dodger fan or a Met fan, you the Mets struggled this year. Yeah. What are your thoughts about that? And I will get to music in a minute. I don't know if you had any thoughts about there's been a lot of criticism mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. and it seems backward to me. Like mm-hmm. Teams are complaining that they did not have to play as many games. <laughs> and yeah. yeah, so I'd, I'd love to know your thoughts. First of all, congrats to your Texas Rangers. Deserved, fan base has finally deserved a championship. Yes. I saw the Denver Nuggets win an NBA championship after 900 years. So it was nice to see. Um, yeah. The thing that I have the hardest time with, quite frankly, Jesse, is playing the World Series in November. It's just... Luckily, this year, we didn't have a problem with weather. When you're watching them in Boston or Washington or any of those East Coast cities, and it's 38 degrees at game time, I think that detracts from the six months of the season when you didn't really have weather issues. And all of a sudden, it's like weather becomes the prevalent issue, right? Football, we're used to it. Your Cowboys... They basically play in a dome stadium, a big hole in, yeah. the, in the field, which I can't understand. But they have to go to Lambeau, and they have to go to Philly, and right. they have to go to cold weather places, just any Southern California team or whatever. Yeah. And that's just part of the deal. So anyway, that as a fan, I think the best of three was terrible, whenever that was, in the wild card round. So at least they extended that. Best of three in anything is terrible, in my opinion. Even in women's tennis, I think it's terrible. And my Dodgers, I'm a diehard Dodger fan. I'm also a Red Sox fan, believe it or not, because I didn't, wasn't allowed to have an American League team growing up in New York. Yeah. So when I went to Massachusetts, I wouldn't have had any friends if I wasn't a Red Sox fan. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, it was, it was sad to see the way it ended for the Dodgers. A team like the Diamondbacks to, to beat them and then beat the Phillies. That's pretty amazing, right? So yeah. the storyline was great. And uh, I think the Rangers was just too good. It's, you know, yeah. I I do love the shtick that they were undefeated on the road and their play, their team spelled out road, the Rays, the Oreos. I hadn't heard that before. Yeah. Yeah. So they beat the the Rays, (laughs) the Oreos, the Astros and the Diamondbacks spells road. That's crazy. Who who would have? Yeah. I know someone on Twitter push that and we're like oh my goodness that's that is crazy <laughs> yeah 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 that's great that's exciting because you don't really think of your area as a baseball no it's know. football it's yeah, football it's- it'll always be football you know the cowboys a, a, a cowboys preseason game would pull mm-hmm. more uh, numbers than a, a division important baseball game but yeah. they had over half a million at the parade and yeah. Yeah. Uh, we seem to be really happy Earlier this year, I had Chuck Morgan, who is the longtime PA guy uh, for the Mm -hmm. Rangers, and I specifically had him on to talk about walkout music (laughs) and the the, how that's evolved over the years. 
And yep. and Chuck had said, he says, I think we're going to have a better season, better team than you think this year. And That's yeah, great. so let it's me, nice. Let me ask you on the Jets, does anybody in baseball use a Bruce song for walkout music? I do not know of anyone. Yeah, that would be cool. Yeah, yeah, we should. That would be yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, um, no, surrender, no surrender would be, like, a perfect walkout. Oh, so. it would be. Yeah, I'd love that. Yeah. So you took her growing up in Brooklyn. Was your – obviously, your family was big sports fans, but were mm-hmm. they big music fans? What kind of music were your family listening to when you were younger? Yeah, my my parents were into – this is the 60s, of course. So they were into Sinatra and Tony Bennett and uh, Sergio Franchi. My mother loved that guy. And – my sister, though, was a hippie. She was flower power, the whole thing. So she got me into music very early. I'll tell you a quick story. I, I think I was six years old when Meet the Beatles came out. You know? And she literally stole money from my piggy bank. To oh, no. The, yeah, to go down to Mel's record rack in Brooklyn. And to this day, I never let her live it down. I'll always remember it. An album back then was like four bucks or whatever it was. But yeah. But but she introduced me to everyone from the Allman Brothers to Quicksilver to, of course, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. One of the biggest disappointments in my sister's life was that my parents wouldn't let her go to Woodstock. <laughs> but all that Woodstock era music. And, of course, you know, I was getting into a little bit into jazz. I, was a, I played percussion in high school. I was a drummer. I had my own band. So I was playing symphonic music, but I was also playing House of the Rising Sun in the garage. <laughs> so, sure. Big of all that stuff. Yeah. I love that. And I talk about this often that siblings influence us, whether you're the oldest and you're influencing them, or if you're a younger, you're influenced by your older siblings. So I love that story. And I would never let her live that down either. My my story of that has nothing to do with music. It's chocolate Pop-Tarts. My okay. mom would buy a package of chocolate Pop-Tarts for each of us, right? That my sister would have one and I would have one. Mm-hmm. And I being, I was always able to delay gratification. So I waited till the weekend to eat my Pop-Tarts so I could really enjoy them. My sister would immediately eat her Pop-Tarts. Yeah. Then on Saturday, I may have been a little bit of a jerk. I've got a Pop-Tart. You don't. I've got a Pop-Tart. And she would start crying. And my mom would go, God damn it. Just there's three chocolate Pop-Tarts in there. Give her one. Yeah. And I would try to like, but she didn't. Mom had no interest in. So I was struck by the injustice of the world. Yeah. My lovely bride said, why didn't you just eat your pop cart sooner? And then she couldn't have done that to you. No, it was the principle I wanted. The other a couple of years ago for my sister's 40th birthday, I sent her a case of chocolate pop tarts. Yeah, there you go. She just laughed and loved that. So, yeah, that's great. Can you remember, you talked a little bit when you discovered Bruce, Mm -hmm. and since you're a more of a visual guy, I'm going to put you on the thing to, can you articulate what about his music spoke to you? Oh, I can remember like it was yesterday, Jesse, and not just because I was thinking about this interview, but I do remember I was a freshman at UMass 1975, and I had a roommate 
His name was Kick Fallon. He was this Irish Catholic guy from Somerville, Mass. And we all had turntables in our room and stuff. I came back from something, came into my room, and, and here he's sitting there. He's looking at this album, and he's playing this music. And I, I have to be honest with you. I said, Kick, what the hell is this? This is terrible. What is this? He goes, hey, man, just listen to it. Just listen to it. And he made me sit down, and he played the album twice, right? Both sides, twice. And I somehow something just clicked. I think it was... It could have been like during Jungle Land or once that sax solo came on for the second time. And then I saw the album cover and you talk about visually, something just blew me away about that album cover. And what really was, what really struck me was, and I I didn't know that Eric Miola shot that and I hadn't heard the story obviously at that point, but the way that they designed the cover with Bruce on the front and then it opens up and you see him leaning on Clarence, that it, it it's really a, a, like a second reading almost. You have to open it to see that. And I hadn't really seen albums like that before, where the back cover essentially and the front cover become one. It was super cool. And it was just beautifully shot and very simple, of course, with the white background. It just struck me visually as a photographer, black and white, it was beautiful. And... I was intrigued. I was intrigued about Bruce. I was intrigued about learning about him. But concurrently, at the same time, when I first listened to that album, Southside Johnny and the Asbury Jukes came to our campus. And we all went. There's like a group of like 20 of us, inseparable group. And he literally played in the coffee shop at uh, on our campus called the hatch in the student union. They cleared the tables out. And they put the band in there. It's got like a nine foot ceiling and just blew the windows out it w- and we all were hooked i mean we all became like Southside fans but then i found out oh bruce wrote the fever really <laughs> and, and then Southside album we all got into that and it just mushroomed from there and it became the binding force for my friend group and i tell my kids this story and i told them this while they were growing up that like during midterms and finals, we would have what was called Bruce breaks. I mean, it's truth that we would go in, all stop studying, go into somebody's room. Somebody would put an album on and we would listen to the album. We would talk about the lyrics. Of course, everybody would know the lyrics. We would dissect the lyrics and then begrudgingly have to go back to study. And it just became like a lifestyle. It became something that bound us all together. Yeah, I, th- I love that idea of instead of getting up and doing a brisk walk or getting a shot of caffeine, which you probably did at the same time listening to the music, but mm-hmm. the idea of, okay, let's clear our minds, focus on something that's not the class, mm-hmm. and then mentally go back, okay, I've taken my recess, now it's time to go back to studying. I, th- I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's really cool. And my girlfriend at the time was an English major. She loved to write poetry. And she would break down his lyrics, like almost word for word, and knew there's some lyrics that were a little hard to understand. And she, of course, knew them. And and it was just really a, a wonderful experience. Something I look back on 
this many years later as enriching. And it was just as much an experience as living in the dorm or going to class. Bruce and his music, Southside, that whole New Jersey scene, which to me was very um, like a mythical thing because growing up in Brooklyn, we used to go to the Jersey Shore when you'd see these little clubs and stuff. And then I started going to like the Cape Cod Shore with my friends. It was a similar situation with little bars, with bands in them. So it was a very like romantic time. It was beautiful. So I'm going to get back to music, but I'm curious, where did your, why photography? Where did that come from? That love of doing, of taking photos. You mentioned how much seeing Bruce's album cover spoke to you. So Mm -hmm. where do you think that came from? I know exactly where it came from, Jesse. My, My dad was a doctor. But he considered himself an amateur photographer. He always had a Super 8 camera around when I was growing up. He also loved to do woodworking. We came from a pretty creative family. And when I was 14, my dad um, and I were planning a trip to the western United States to go visit like a dozen of the national parks. Now, at that point, I had never been west of New Jersey. The western United States to me seemed like the mood. And so to prepare for that, my birthday is in April. For my 14th birthday, my dad gave me a Nikon 2 camera, an old school, totally manual, of course, film camera, and gave me about a 30-second tutorial, like how to turn it on, how to load the film, and then you're on your own, kid. But I have to tell you, it became like an appendage. I really took to it, brought it to school the rest of that sophomore year, and then we made this trip. And I just had this epiphany, this moment where we would be standing in front of Old Faithful, for example, or the Grand Canyon, um, or this beautiful vista of whatever it was, And I would see it in my eyes, and then I would be able to see it through the viewfinder and then click the shutter and know that it's recording what I'm seeing in my head through my eyes onto film, right? And then to come home and look through, it was all slide film that we shipped back to, through mailers, back to Rochester, to Kodak. And it's a really funny story that we get back home and all of this film shows up at our doorstep there's all these yellow boxes of slide film and there's probably 60 of them my dad was shooting pictures and i was shooting pictures and we're opening up these boxes and we're looking through them and my dad's ah, look at this great picture of mount rainier and look at this great picture i shot of the grand canyon and yosemite and and finally he got up to i think he got up to some place we were in vancouver or something and i said hold on a second dad can i just can i see that roll that you're showing And I go through and I said, but dad, you're like in this role. Like I took those pictures. (laughs) And he said, kid, I guess you you learned something on this trip. I remember that. It was an affirming moment. And then the joke about me in high school after that was like, who would come in the room first, Andy or his camera? Because the camera literally was attached to me like 24 hours a day. And I loved it. And that I was able to express myself that way. Um, and I, in high school, I went to a big high school in Brooklyn. So we had sports and fine arts and clubs and feature stuff, news stuff. I really was able to pick and choose the things I wanted to do. 
because I happen to be the photo editor of the newspaper and the uh, yearbook. And the same thing happened in college where two weeks into my freshman year, I gravitated to our daily newspaper and all of a sudden became the assistant photo editor, giving out assignments to juniors and seniors and cherry picking the things I wanted to shoot. It was super fun. And that's where it all started. I didn't know in college at UMass that I could actually make a career out of it. I knew it's something I loved to do. It was a passion. When I moved to California, it really cemented that, yes, I could make a career out of it. And by the way, you could be a successful sports photographer. Who knew? Yeah. So it worked out. Yeah. It's not often you get to take your two loves. You're, you've you found your passion for mm-hmm. photography and you talked about you're always a sports fan and to be able to figure out how to combine those like peanut butter and chocolate, mm-hmm. that that's a blessing, isn't it? Oh, for sure. It's literally marrying my two passions. I love sports, but I was the shortest kid on my block. I knew I'd never play sports, even JV in high school, but I loved it. I was competitive. I loved going to games, loved talking sports with my friends. So I love sports over here. I love photography. What could be better in life than to take, like you said, your two passions and marry them together and make that be your life's path and your career? Do you remember the first gig where you actually got paid to take a photo? That's a great question. I do remember the first time I had a published basketball photo. I actually had that photo in my office framed. Uh, it was UMass, uh, a guy named Alex Eldridge, who was like the star player my freshman year. Yeah, I actually do. And if I got to go really back in time, but through my connections with the college newspaper, somehow I got hired by the fraternities and sororities to shoot their parties. How great is this? I didn't have to rush a fraternity. I have to live at the house, but I got invited to all the great parties. And they, they, I think they paid me 25 bucks or something. Yeah. And I would shoot a couple of rolls of film, make some prints and drop them off. And it was fun. And then I get to go back to my dorm and be with my friends. I didn't have to deal with the whole fraternity sorority business. So that was pretty much, I think, the first time I probably got paid, Jesse. Yeah. Do, is it, has it always been sports photography or have you branched out and done other type of photography as well? Yeah. At Art Center, I was exposed, sports photography, I loop in with photojournalism, of course. So I've been in photojournalistic news, feature, portraits, that kind of stuff even shooting fine arts. But at yeah, when I moved to California and Art Center was really a hardcore commercial advertising school, I had to learn how to do that. I learned had to learn how to light, how to do studio lighting, how to shoot fashion. None of that stuff really interested me. I didn't like shooting food, but it was something we had to do. And I did it, but I always was leaning towards photojournalism and more specifically as I got more experiences as an assistant to be a sports photographer. Um, unfortunately, Art Center did not did not promote that. They didn't encourage that. They, in fact, did everything they could to discourage me to being a actual sports photographer. Nobody makes a living doing that. That's not a career. That's not what we teach here. I'm a Brooklyn guy, and you tell me I can't do something or I'm in the wrong place. I'm just going to, what am I going to do? I'm going to prove you wrong. Right. And I'm going to put an exclamation point on it. And it worked out that way. That wasn't my motivation, but it certainly helped my career path 
to just have that little extra push to prove everybody else wrong. Um, I Yeah, I love that. I love that you've been, and obviously talent, preparation, luck, right? It is, you are humble enough to know that you're at the right place at the right time, but you had to be ready. Yeah, for right? sure. That is, it yeah. is, that's a common thought is too many other. All right, we'll go back to music for a minute. I always yeah. like to preface the amount of times you've seen Bruce live is not a fair barometer of how big of a fan you are. But mm-hmm. for the record, are you someone who counts? Yes. And if so, how many shows? Just saw my 80th show, which was in Foxborough, right before he played the three at MetLife and then had to shut the tour down temporarily. Phenomenal show in Foxborough, of course. And I, the 79th show was in Tampa, which was opening night of, of the U.S. portion, portion okay. of the tour. Fantastic show. But yes, I do count. I still have all my tickets, the actual physical tickets. When they were physical yeah. tickets, I have them all in the shoebox. Sometimes I, I had the opportunity to, to photograph him, especially when I was working for the sports arena and Coliseum, the first wave of the river tour. And then he came back, of course, and did the, the revisited river tour yeah. in 2016 and actually closed down the LA sports arena which is one of his favorite places to play, the dump that jumps, he called it. I was there the last show, which was on March 19th, 2016. And it was such an amazing full circle thing for me because there was still five or six people working at the sports arena who had worked there in 1980. He came through twice in that original river tour, beginning and at the end. So he came in 80 and 81. And there's still the five or six people. The GM was still there. He called me up. He said, hey, Andy, I know we haven't seen you in a while, but what a big Bruce fan you are. And how would you like to shoot his last show? And I'm like, what are you, nuts? Of course I'm going to shoot the last show. And I had tickets, of course, in the yeah. pit with my friends. Very long story short, this guy Joe says to me, he says, Bruce has consented because this is the last show ever in the sports arena to do a photo with the five or six of us who are still here right after sound check. So can you come at 11 or something or whatever it was? So of course that was the greatest thing ever. They showed up and got to shoot the sound check before that though, I got in there really early because <laughs> I knew the way in, I knew the way to the catwalk. I put a camera in the catwalk to shoot uh, during hungry heart. When he did the, the body surfing yeah. from the small stage to the big stage, knew exactly when it was going to happen, exactly the path he was going to take. And I shot this really amazing picture of him just like crowd surfing across. And I got to show that picture to him once. And he gave me a look that I'll never forget. It's I, we know that Bruce is a little bit of a control freak. Right. Yeah. And he, was like, he, he said to me, literally he said, how F did you get that picture? And I said, I took it. He goes, how? Like he was not happy because somebody was not looking I said, I, I told him, I said, look, this is the last night in the arena that everything was set up. I knew how to get to the catwalk, blah, blah, blah. I don't want to throw anybody under the bus. Yeah. And he goes, man, that's just fantastic. He loved the story. He loved the fact that I had the balls to do it. I had the guts to tell him how I did it. Yeah. So it, it was fun. And then this picture over my shoulder, by the way, right. this was back in 78, Springfield Civic Center. My first show, first Bruce show. Back in the day, we used to have to sneak cameras and lenses in 
by taping them to your leg, like to your ankle. Okay. Literally with an ace bandage, and cameras on one side, lenses on the other side. You get the, the you put the the film down your pants somewhere, you know. Yeah. Because there weren't there was no metal detectors and people right. weren't patting people down, but you couldn't obviously bring a camera in that was visible. And I was in the last row of Springfield Civic Center, took this picture, and if you zoom in on this picture, it just blows my mind. But I know he's not, but it looks like he's looking right at me in this picture. It was the craziest thing ever. So I have this hanging here in, in our vacation house and I have it in my office, keep it yeah. on my phone. I showed it to him and his comment about that was, he goes, man, we're old, aren't we? I said, yeah, we're old, but we're still ticking. <laughs> so you've mentioned how often have you been able to meet Bruce? So I met him, I met him twice. The first time was an absolute disaster. It was not a good thing. It was, I believe it was the Tunnel of Love tour. And I was, of course, working for the sports arena. And at that time, the LA Clippers, who was also my client, the LA Clippers had their office in the sports arena. So you actually had to walk into the sports arena through a security entrance. And if you had a credential, you can get in. And that's how you access the Clippers offices, right? Of course, I knew that. And I knew what Bruce does his sound check at whatever time it was, two o'clock, three o'clock. So I made it my business to drop off something, quote unquote, to the Clippers that day. And I, I made my way down to the, the bowl and he's doing sound check. And we all know how famous he is for walking around the whole arena and listening sure. and all that stuff. So imagine I'm at one end zone at the end of the, the seating. He's at the stage and he's walking straight towards me and he's got the guitar and he's listening and he's doing a couple of bars and blah, blah. And he's walking towards me and I'm making like, I have my credential on and stuff. And I'm making like I'm arranging the seats or something. I'm thinking yeah. this is this is my opportunity. And he walks right towards me and I just put my hand out. I said, Bruce, I just have to tell you what a thrill it is that you're playing in our arena and that I'm getting to meet you and big fan. And he, he looked me right in the eye. He's shaking my hand. He goes, hey, what's your name? I said, my name's Andy Bernstein. He goes, he goes, what do you do here? They're interested. And I yeah. said, I'm the Clippers team photographer. And he took a beat and he goes, what's that? <laughs> and they just kept walking. It's exactly like the story he told about being at the urinal in yeah. San Francisco. And he said he's from New Jersey. And the guy says, what's that? Exactly the same thing happened to me. So I was mortified, literally mortified for like the next 35 years until I got to meet him. Um, backstage after his Broadway show one night, which was amazing. How did that happen? My sister is an actress and she's connected with various people on Broadway. And she happened to know the owner of the theater. What was it? The Schubert Theater, I think, where he played. Yeah, I think. Yeah. And she and, and my brother-in-law were friends with that guy. And it was, this was before the Hall of Fame thing. And it was, she just did me an unbelievable gift of getting first of all getting us tickets to see the show and yep. then then she says to me she said she says you might bring some prints some pictures that you've shot of bruce over the years because we can just give them to my friend who can give them to bruce i said yeah that would be cool i'll put my business card in whatever it's worth and so i have this file folder of prints i'm sitting there the entire show and finally 
we gets to the encore and Patty comes out and the whole thing and somebody taps on my shoulder. Let's go. And I'm thinking, were they kicking us out? Let's go. Let's go. And they took us backstage. And then she hadn't told me this part. And backstage was this tiny little, literally a closet. And I'm standing and I'm figuring out what's going on. And it was just an unbelievable moment. And the show ends. And about 10 minutes later, Bruce and Patty come down this very narrow staircase and it was a magical moment. It's all I can say. And my sister's give him the prince, give him the prince. <laughs> so that's when we had the conversation about the, the photo I shot at the sports arena and this old one. And I had one, so it was a chronological kind of dozen prints of all the times I had shot him over the years, which was amazing. One time at the sports arena, I was able to shoot the entire show. They gave me like carte blanche to shoot anywhere in the arena from beginning to end. And as we photographers only get the first three songs, it's three and out, you're done. Unless you're you know, Danny Clinch or Pete Souza yeah. or one of those guys. So that was an unbelievable gift because I was able to go up all over the arena, get shots from behind the stage, all kinds of stuff. So I had a few of those, which he was intrigued by. And he's a big photography buff, as we know. And yeah. Preston is a great friend of mine. I think really introduced Bruce to photography. Of course, his sister Pam is a world-renowned photographer. So photography is really something that he can relate to. And I felt good about showing him my work. I didn't. I felt like somebody who's really looking at it and knows what they're looking at. That's cool. I've only, I haven't ever met him. I've been at the book signing in Austin. Mm. and got my seven seconds, right? I got the photo taken of him. And <laughs> people asked, did you tell him about the podcast? And I just felt weird. Yeah. If we had had longer time, Sure. Like I would, hey, by the way, just want to let yeah. you know. That's good. Yeah. You mentioned your sister. Is that the hippie one? Yeah, that's the hippie sister. So my sister, I'll just lay it out there. My sister an actress. She was in a little film called Grease back in the day. She played Frenchie in Grease. Her husband is an Oscar and Tony Award winning composer, David Shire. Yeah. Uh, so very connected in world entertainment, yeah. theater and all that. And she's the most generous, loving person that, you know, in my life, quite frankly. Yeah. And that was the most beautiful gesture of all time, if you think yeah, about it. That's, yeah, well, that's nice, right? That's that. But of course, you would do the same thing if someone, if you were able to give someone strength, right? Oh, all oh, my life, sure. I've been a, a Lakers fan. Okay, let me see oh. what I can do for you, right? Oh, 100%. Look, I had the good fortune of working around Kobe for 20 years. There were a couple of times where I was able to introduce him to people that just loved him so much and needed to meet him. And he was always so gracious. Still sad. Yeah. Unbelievable. Just sad. Yeah. 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 Um, So I I will want to, if you put your basketball hat on, obviously here in Dallas, um, we are Luca crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Just amazing how talented this guy is. We always criticize. So I do wish he would worry less about the refs and more, but he also very young. Yeah. So thoughts on Luca. It's wonderful to see a few things. I go back with the Mavs to the reunion arena days, right? Yes. So- we're talking Mark Aguirre, Brad Davis. I um, saw you had Rolando on Yeah, Rolando, Derek yeah. Harper. Those, that, that was a great group of guys. They gave the Lakers a run, but 
Yeah. The Lakers were always just too tough back in those right. early 80s days. So to see the Mavs be relevant again, of course, Dirk had an unbelievable run there, but the team yeah. wasn't always that good. No. When Steve Nash was there, of course, Jason Kidd, there were flashes. And it was incredible to see Dirk win the championship. When was that? 2012, I think. 2011. Yeah. 2011. Uh, yeah. And it was, yeah. yeah, my, one of the, I posted this, my son was still in college mm-hmm. when the Mavs won the championship. So we didn't get to watch it together mm-hmm. though. And Dirk by far his favorite player always. Yeah. He said, yeah. I would have Dirk's baby right yeah. now. Just there you go. Yeah. And Amazing. so this year, we were able to watch the World Series every game together, which made yeah. it even more special. But yeah, you know, it's sports is it's a great unifier and it's family yeah. legacy from the beginning. That's why I started my platform, Legends of Sport, because we need to continue that conversation about legendary athletes and teams from generation to generation. We want to be the curators of that at Legends of right. Sport. It's a whole other conversation. But to see the Mavs relevant again with a with a player the caliber of Luca who's only has the the guy hasn't even come close to his prime yet that was he like 24 yeah I think yeah Uh, but I gotta tell you man watch out down the road because down in San Antonio this Wemby guy is I the only word I can say is like otherworldly I shot him on opening night I'm going down there for another game this week a guy that tall with the skill set he has we've never seen that before yeah, it is. Yeah. It is crazy that after David Robinson and, yeah. and then Tim Duncan and then mm-hmm. for San Antonio to get this, yeah. it is unbelievable. Yeah, I, I do think he is going to be a superstar. Um, and yeah, my yeah, it's going to be fun. Yeah, it's going to be real fun. No, it'd be, it'd be great to see the Spurs get better. Yeah. Um, Dallas is already better. I was in Dallas last year for the playoffs and that was terrific. The year before, I think they played the Clippers. I was there for yeah. that. Um, I love Mark Cuban. I love yeah. what he's about. I love what he, the energy he brought to the league continues to bring. I love everything he stands for. I love going to Dallas. It's a fun place to go. Great restaurants. Yeah. I, I love the arena. So look, I'm lucky to be able to have the perspective of seeing how, a team has evolved over the years. Right. And also the whole European influence that Luca is the, the newest generation of that. I remember Savonis Sir, when he came and played until yeah. the end of his career, but played for Portland and yeah. then Petrovic and, and all the all those guys who were just phenomenal. Marshallonis and then of course the great Pau Gasol who is, is a dear friend and what he brought and, and the influx of the Russian, um, not the Russian, but I'm sorry, the, the French guys like Tony yeah. Parker and Boris Diaw. So I think now the league is like 35, almost 40% European. Yeah. So it's a wonderful thing. And I, I think he's got to stay locked in on the game being what's most important to him. Yeah. Um, he's got to, his conditioning has to, continue to get better yeah uh, I agree. Came, it looks to me i haven't seen them play yet in person this season but he looks to me like he came in a little thinner and a little bit more um toned this season that's right? that's what my son has said my son is says that he is much he at least appears to be a little more quote unquote in shape 
yeah. you know, even they are such gifted athletes that even yeah. when they're out of shape, they're incredibly in shape, right? It yeah, is. it's incredible. Yeah. And it's funny, he, he was Gigi Bryant's like favorite player. Yeah. She, she loved him, loved to watch him play. In fact, I'm pretty sure the last time I saw Kobe was a Lakers-Dallas game. Yeah. Uh, I believe it was in December. He died in January. Yeah. And we were sitting courtside with Gigi and Luca came over. Of course, they hugged and I took a picture with all of them, all that stuff. But but yeah, he's just a phenomenal talent. Yeah. So you've already told me a couple of stories. We're going to get back to music. Are you yeah. still good on time? I'm got, I have plenty of time. Okay, plenty me too. Plenty of time, my friend. Yeah. Did is other stories from shows that you've attended that you want to share? Oh, man, I got a million of them. First of all, I have to give a shout out, Jesse, to my good friend, Chris Bodak. And Chris was a, I met Chris when he was a ball boy. He probably was like 16, maybe, for the Lakers back in the Showtime era. We became friends. We we found out we loved Bruce together. Chris evolved and it kept growing in the Laker organization to the point where he became the video coordinator. He became uh, a scout and assistant coach under Phil Jackson. But mo most importantly, Chris became my Bruce buddy. So okay. Chris and I have seen, we don't know exactly, that, which is unfortunate, we should know, but we've seen at least 50 shows together. And, and we've been everywhere together. When we buy tickets, we know that we're going together. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter who else goes with us. Sure. So Chris and I have had many adventures too numerous to, to name one one couple of great ones pat riley and his wife chris are great bruce fans we've had the good fortune of being in the pit with crap uh, pat and chris a few times in tampa was the last time actually on opening night that was great but i i'm not the kind of guy who will go to a concert by himself i don't even even when i'm on the road i won't even go to a movie by myself it's just not like my thing but something came up where we, Chris and I were going to go see Bruce in Santiago, Chile, and then in Buenos Aires. And this nice. Was, I can't remember. This was 2012, maybe. I don't remember exactly. And we had the plane tickets. We had worked at the hotels, the whole thing. And he canceled on me like three days before. But yet he's got, he still has kids, but his kids were young and there was all kinds of shenanigans going on. And he just had to, he just couldn't go. And I just decided, all right, I'm going by myself, which really didn't sit well in my house because my wife happens to be Argentinian. And she's, you're going to my country? It's bad that you were going with him, but now you go by yourself? <laughs> so I decided to go. And I went to the first show in Santiago, which was phenomenal, a tiny little arena. It reminded me of this LA sports arena. And it was the wintertime down there. <clears throat> and the next show was outside was in a, like a racetrack in, in Buenos Aires. And I'm all bundled up. It was towards the end of the winters, I remember down there. And it was our summer, September. And I'm all bundled up. I got beanie on, I got a scarf, I got gloves, the whole thing. I had GA pit tickets. And I wander in there and found my way into the, the back of the pit, just by myself. Weird, but I was, there's Bruce in the band, so that's good enough. And this really big guy, uh, my peripheral vision, I see him coming towards me, big guy, all right, muscular, black guy, and he's all bundled up too, and he just comes right next to me, stands next to me for a couple of minutes, and then finally looks over and he goes, you American? And I said, yeah, 
Uh, I said, how do you know that? And he says, it's my business to know. <laughs> what does that mean? And he goes, I work for the U.S. Embassy here. He goes, you see all those people at the front? The tour gave us like 60 tickets. The whole embassy is here. And, and then he says to me, he said, you seen this guy before? <laughs> and I said, yeah, a few times. He goes, he's good, right? I said, yeah, he's really good. He says, can my friends come over? Because no one's ever seen him before. And we're all in foreign service. And they all speak English, of course. And I became the, the narrator almost for the show. Okay, now he's going to play this. I think he's going to play that. He's going to go this side of the stage. He's going to hold the mic out. He's going to blah, 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 all that stuff. So it was just a crazy experience. That, And then we became friends. All of a sudden, like we're exchanging numbers and that kind of thing. But it was a beautiful moment. Oh, that is such a lovely moment. Bruce just unites everybody. It doesn't matter where it is, what's happening. It's a unifying force. Yeah, I was at, not quite as exciting, but I was at the the free show he did for the NCAA tournament, right? Mm, That was, yeah, yeah, that it was in front of the arena. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so they was outside. Yeah. And the weather was horrible. So there wasn't. I remember it was raining. Yeah. Yeah. That's the night he opened. Yeah. And so there were two or three guys next to me and they were there because they were college basketball fans. Right. Mm -hmm. They were there Mm -hmm. for the final four. Yeah. And so they had no idea. And they said, so we figure we're here. We've heard good things about them. Why not go to a free show? I'm like, yeah. yeah. So it was really fun to talk. And about halfway through it, they're like, boy, this wasn't an oversell. This yeah. is amazing. Yeah. And so that was, I felt yeah. really good that, and um, Robert Wolanski, who is the Dallas Morning News, he no longer is with the Morning News, but he was the pop critic at the time. And mm-hmm. he said, this might be one of Bruce's best show because of the intimacy, the situation, and that, so, yeah, that was, and it was a very, it it was a very, he knew this is a casual audience, Mm -hmm. so he's doing Glory Days and Born Around, Glory Days and Dancing in the Dark. You could tell it was like, I'm going to do songs that I think people will know, and yeah, that was a great night. Yeah, it's like the Super Bowl. I don't want to say he was out of his element, but he was out of his element. I mean, it's a Super Bowl. But uh, I had a friend, a dear friend who passed away, unfortunately, but he lived in Tampa. The game was in Tampa. And it rained, I don't know if you remember, but it rained the entire week before the Super Bowl Sunday. It it didn't rain that day. But my friend was on the crew to bring the stage out. It was all volunteer and all that, which they did. And he just wanted to be close to Bruce. Right. And it was an incredible experience. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. So let's talk about, I do want to know, you did two shows, all the brouhaha about the static set list. Any mm-hmm. opinion you want to share on that? Yeah, I hate leaving a brew show with the feeling like, oh, I wish you had played that. Or wish you'd played. Yeah. How do you not do that? Because the guy's got 900 songs that we love. Yeah. I think this is what I think. I think he had to do that for the first leg pretty much. Yeah. And then loosen things up a little bit the next time he comes around. Okay. Maybe even take requests again, which would be really amazing if he did that. 
look, the guy is not 35, 45, even 55 anymore, right? Yeah. Uh, or even 65, for that matter. Yeah. I think he had to have more structure. I think the band needed that. But I could, I just have the funny feeling that things are going to change a little bit, or maybe a lot. And I, look, I love that he worked in some of the newer stuff. I love that he, the, the entire show is really homage to George Thies and his relationship with him. And yeah, I, the fact that it's such a big band, it's probably the biggest band I think I've ever seen him have, yeah. including the Sessions band. Yeah, because Wrecking Ball was big, but not as big as this. Yeah. 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 I, what I've been, and if you've listened to the podcast, you know this, that I'm okay with being disappointed. I'm just not okay with the people who are angry. No, you can't be How dare he not turn it up much? Doesn't he know I'm going to three shows and I don't want to see the same? I'm like, okay, those are first world problems. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, those are first world problems for sure. Yeah. And I think when we're pleasantly surprised, you go and he happens to play Jungle Land. That's a great surprise. Yeah. I mean, I've heard him play Jungle Land how many times, but yeah, nothing is like being there when he plays it. So one of the things that I really, and Brian just recently was on the podcast, and I love this, and as a sports fan, he said the set list is the final score of the match. It has nothing to do with the actual event. Yeah. And I said, that's really well said because like, as we're recording this, the Cowboys lost a close one to the Eagles. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the final score, yeah. but then when you watch it, it was like, okay, they both made dumb mistakes. Yeah. Are they more equal than we think? What are we going to do? And so it is that when it's sometimes the score is deceptive. It was the game was closer than the score showed, or it wasn't even as close as the score possibly shows. Yeah, yeah, for sure. What's unbelievable about the Bruce show, there's so many things, but how he can, and your previous guest spoke about this very eloquently, how he can be in a football stadium and as he's literally like in your high school gym. He can wrap the audience around his finger and, and it'd be like deathly quiet. And then the next thing he's just rocking out and how he can how he manages as a showman he and bono i think are equals in that really the top two maybe mick maybe daltrey i don't know i'm not a big pearl jam fan i know eddie vetter is like that it's just mesmerizing it really is because you you go through the entire like rainbow of emotions like at a show you're sad you're elated you're nostalgic you're sad again (laughs) <laughs> and then you're blown out of the water and then the lights come on and you're part of the show. It's just the entire experience is it's a spiritual, like religious, almost group joy experience, which yes, I get that. If I go to a big sporting event, yeah, I'm a little jaded with sporting events because that's my world. That's my life. Yeah. But I can see if you're at a world series and it's a game clinching game or game seven in the NBA finals or something. It's the same kind of feeling, except there's people in the building that are rooting for the other team too, by the way. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Often my friends, especially from the East coast will laugh that I can't believe I'm friends with a cowboy fan. Right. I can't believe I'm friends with a Ranger fan because Bruce does unite us all for that. And I I I have to just jump in on that for a second. My best friend, yeah. Born in 
raised the absolute New Jersey poster child, right, is a Cowboys fan in Giants and Eagles territory. And he's he's got four sons and a daughter. Like, they're all fans of the different teams except the Cowboys. Yeah. And and he literally had Cowboys season tickets for years. He would go down and and during the Jimmy Johnson era. And even after that, had to give them up when his kids got older. But yeah. uh, that shows a lot of moxie right there, right? Yes, it does. <laughs> Absolutely. I On my wish list is I would love to have Chris Christie on. Mm-hmm. And, and we would not discuss politics at all. I would just talk about his Springsteen fandom and yeah. talk about how did Roger Staubach become his favorite player. Yeah. I just yeah. would love to have him discuss that. I didn't know that about Staubach. I knew it about Bruce, of course, but yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah there yeah. was a documentary or something, and he said, Roger Staubach is my favorite player and everything. So, yeah. Uh, being, a, being a Jersey guy, that's really Yeah, it is. That's, it yeah. It would be like Bill Sims or... Yeah, you know, he, he's too young to be a Joe Namath fan, but you yeah. know somebody from like that era. Yeah, yeah, that's great. What are some of the albums and songs that are that routinely you go to when you need that break? If we go back to college, Andy, to this day, is there songs or albums that? you go when you're needing to celebrate, when you're needing to refresh, when you're ready to renew? Absolutely. I religiously, on the way to games, I'm listening, of course, I'm listening to East Street Radio. I'm listening to playlists from, from a show. Sometimes I'll have earpods in while I'm preparing for the game in the arena. No Surrender usually is my go-to song for just getting the blood pumping. It's like, all right, yeah. This, and some of that comes from being around guys like Jordan and Kobe and Magic, and these guys took no prisoners, man. But yeah, they played balls out and get out of the way if you get run over. And I just, I love that song. There have been, there's been periods in my life and continue to be where I, I'm like, did he write that for me? I mean, seriously, brilliant disguise. Really? Did he really? I literally could have written that in my journal, not as eloquently, of course, but they've hit me very hard. I get, I have to go back to darkness for a lot of nostalgia because when darkness came out in 78, that's when I moved to California and I went back to visit my friends and we wore, man, we wore that vinyl out. We literally had to go buy another copy. We were all in Cape Cod. One of our friend's parents' little cottage was playing it nonstop, singing it, the whole thing. It's the fabric, really, of my life. My kids are so sick of listening to Bruce, but they've just given up. They like, they get in the car with me. Now they, three of them, three of the four of them drive. So I don't have to worry about it anymore. But my two of my oldest, I took. I think they were seven and eight when I took them to their first Bruce show, which happened to be at, at Lincoln Field in Philly before before it even opened. They didn't even have a football game there yet. Bruce opened yeah. the play that summer. And I took my wife, who is a good sport, I got to tell you, to a couple of shows. And the first show I took her to, she leans over to me. She goes, what is with this? Why is people doing this? What is that? I said, it, because it's like, it's one heart beating together at the same time. And funny story, this is God's honest truth, Jesse. We went to see Bruce at, it was October of 2015. We went to see him at the LA Sports Arena. And we had seats because she didn't do 
pit PA thing. We had decent seats. We're in the, watching the seats. We're watching the show from the seats. And she, we had been trying to get pregnant for a while and just wasn't working out. And we had shelved that idea. And we were raising these three teenagers together, blended family. And we just given up on the idea of having our own together. And she literally leans over to me during the show. She says, I'm pregnant. <laughs> And I'm like, what? And she says, I'm pregnant. I'm like, he's playing Backstreets. What do you tell me that now? <laughs> and to this day, she will never let me live that down. And I never let her live it down. It was a beautiful moment. But I mean, pick your moment. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so not a, a similar moment. Um the Rangers were in the World Series. I think it was against the Cardinals, the one that was such a heartbreak. Mm-hmm. And my wife comes in the living room. She had been in the bedroom watching TV. Mm-hmm. And I pause it. And she's, I've been thinking about our funerals. Oh, geez. And like, what are we going to do? Do you know how we're going to do this? Who will speak? Mm-hmm. And I, was, I let her finish. I go, I agree. These are important topics mm-hmm. however mm-hmm. the rangers are in the world series <laughs> and i'm watching this now and perhaps, i'm still alive by the way yeah perhaps we could discuss this another time oh yeah oh sure that's hilarious but jesse let me turn the table on you for a second because yeah. my other life i do podcast interviews yeah i can't help myself i know that you had a battle with cancer and it was probably a rough go for a while. What Was there anything Bruce-related that helped you through that period? Absolutely. I was in the hospital, and the doctor said, we need to make sure your heart is strong enough to have the surgery. Mm. And so they had tried to do a test, and the cardiologist came in and said, you didn't pass the test. We're going to have to do it a different way. Mm-hmm. And and earlier that day, my wife and I had gotten in a tiff just because we we're both just so stressed, right? She was tired, worried yeah. about me. So she had gone home. And the few people were in there could tell I was in a bad mood. I was depressed. Mm-hmm. And so I pulled up my phone and I made an F cancer playlist. And I started adding songs, no retreat, no surrender. Absolutely. And hashtag no retreat, no surrender is what I posted on every post I made. In fact, one of my friends who isn't a Bruce fan bought me the Claude Van Damme DVD of no surrender. Cause he's, I don't know why he likes this old movie, but I'm going to buy it for him. Wrecking ball, land of hope and dreams, better days. All that heaven will allow, because there's that line, some men want to die young, Mm -hmm. gloriously. Hey, get it straight now, mister. That's not me. I want to. And then and there were some other songs that uh, a good friend of mine, Sarah Hickman, is a musician. She does a great version of We Are Each Other's Angels. But I built this F Cancer playlist Mm -hmm. and listened to it every time. And when Mm -hmm. after the surgery and then I went to chemo, I didn't listen to podcasts. Mm-hmm. I didn't watch on demand on my phone. All I did. And after the first one, Linda said, 
I'll drive you. And I go, if you don't mind, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but I feel fine. I said, mm. I can just drive myself. And then I don't have to worry about just nothing. And she goes, okay, that gets it. So they would put in the chem chemicals and I would just start my playlist. Mm. And I would mm -hmm. just listen to that music as the chemo was going into me. Wow. Yeah. So those are, you know, I mean, those that's are exactly just. It's incredible. Yeah. yeah, we've all, all been there, my friend. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And and it's just it also the beauty of music is it is a time machine. Mm -hmm. It brings us back to those moments where you and your wonderful sister are sharing songs together, right? Yeah. That yeah. you are getting that together. Yeah. 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 So talk to me a little bit when did you get the notice that you were going to be honored with the hall of fame? Tell me a little bit about that. Hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. It had to come. They, they make the announcement at the final four, which is beginning of April, first weekend as to who is the, who are going to be enshrined, the players, yeah. coaches, teams. Then there's two awards, two major awards that are announced shortly after that. So it had to have been, it, it, it was sometime in April. I don't remember the exact time, but that was in April, 2018. And my, my very good friend, Charlie Rosenzweig called me, who I've worked under at the NBA for a long time. He's on the board at the hall of fame. And it, it was amazing. There's the Bun Award, which is a lifetime achievement. Somebody literally worked for in basketball. Sure. The, the Basketball Hall of Fame is not just the NBA. It's all of basketball. Right. Yes. So it's college. It's AAU. It's women's, of course. Yeah. You know, all, you know, and the NBA is a big part of it, of course. And then there's the Kirk Gowdy Award. And they at that time, they were only giving out two, one for print media and one for visual, some broadcaster, TV personality. Yeah. And I, I was flabbergasted. I'm like, <laughs> what comes next? A pink slip? Are you try to tell me something? Um, <laughs> you had no thought? You had no, no clue? No, no clue whatsoever. I didn't even know I was nominated, honestly. Wow. And yeah, it was insane. And I don't even know who else. I don't even know who nominated me because it's a committee. To this day, I don't know. And all my friends or colleagues are on the committee. I've known these people for a million years. Yeah. So that just was mind blowing. And then, then of course, you have to spend the whole summer worrying about the speech. <laughs> and it, it, believe me, it was nerve wracking because you, they, they tell you got, yeah, like eight minutes and nobody speaks for eight minutes, but they tell you you have eight minutes and you have to submit the speech to somebody there who happens to be one of my really good friends, John Horaeus, who bets the speech out. John and I actually saw two Bruce shows in Italy together with okay. the sessions bad. So he loved the fact that I was weaving Bruce stuff in there. And they they help you refine the speech. And then you have to go there. You know, it's a big thing. And you're inviting your family. You know, and I'm used to being on the other side like I'm the guy who takes the picture of the guy winning the award that's my job yeah so it was a really bizarre kind of just feeling and they call me up to do the speech and there's a teleprompter which worked thank god and I had rehearsed it they let you rehearse a few times before and I looked down from the podium and right in front of me David Stern Adam Silver every single person is somebody 
And, and David Stern just had an expression on his face. Don't mess this up. <laughs> okay, we're giving you this award. You better earn it. And he was a wonderful sort of uncle-like character, but he was also incredibly intimidating, the boss. And it just, I don't know, I was nervous, but then I wasn't nervous. And it was wonderful. And afterwards, there was a little reception because a couple of other people from the NBA had gotten actually enshrined. Rick Welts was one of them, a longtime colleague, an executive at the NBA, a few other people. And Adam Silver took me aside and he said, Andy, so happy for you we at the NBA, the family, blah, blah, blah. He says, but I have to tell you that I think your best pictures are in front of you. And by this point, it had been like a 36-year career. And I thought for a second, I said, wow, how affirming is that? Your bo- my boss is telling me like my best years, my best work is in front of me. That was really amazing. That's a lovely thing to say. Yeah, it was, and it inspires me, continues to inspire me, really, yeah. because I feel like I have to live up to something now. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a great segue. What's next for you creatively? I've been tailing off. I, I like to say I have one foot off the baseline. The NBA has been really great at letting me extend my career but yet pulling back on the number of games that I have to do. It's, it's, it sounds weird, but it is physically challenging. You're sitting on the court, you're traveling. There's a lot of anxiety involved, the stress. So I don't travel really much anymore. And the home games, I do about half, maybe 40% between the Lakers and Clippers. Cause I'm lucky I have two teams in my building and I've been building steadily for the last about eight years, a, po- a platform called Legends of Sport, which I host a weekly podcast called Legends of Sport. And we finished our sixth season, 200 episodes, which is nothing compared to your like 2000 or whatever you got. Yeah. But, but that's pretty that's significant. A that's me. a lot of sports talk. Yeah. And we, I get to talk to people just, I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir, but I get to talk to people and have long conversations where normally I would see people in passing or maybe I'd have a cup of coffee with people. I wouldn't get 40 minutes with somebody. And yeah. every single guest has been has been so thrilling to have on the podcast. They've been athletes, they've been owners, they've been super fans, media people, some people I don't know at all, people in other sports, people like Kirk Gibson. Of course, I was there, shot his iconic home run, but I, I never talked to Kirk Gibson you yeah, know, I didn't really know Earl Hershiser, Mike Smith. We had Mike Smith, the jockey, on two days after he won the Triple Crown, which was like amazing, right? Yeah. Uh, Sue Bird. We bring up issues, social justice issues, pay equity issues, issues in women's sports, of course, mental health issues. Having Jerry West on to talk about not just his iconic career, which is a given, but how he was a leader in the mental health space basically 12, 13 years ago when his book came out and nobody really paid attention to it. Now, of course, mental health and sports is unpaid news and it should be. But Jerry really led the way and it was very cathartic and difficult for him to write that book because he's writing about some really deep stuff. That's what we're doing. And we're now, of course, we're well out of the pandemic. We at Legends of Sport are starting to do events that are Legends-based events. So we might be coming your way and that maybe sounds do an good. event or maybe do a Dallas sports event. Yeah, so I'd love that. Know. And I so do, I, I do absolutely. And I realize when you travel, 
it's a short timeline, mm-hmm. but when next time you're in Dallas, if you have time, would love to meet for a meal or a drink and oh, just yeah, talk in sure. person. Yeah. hundred um, percent. And yeah. I just want to mention one other thing that really is a wonderful project that we've just started working on. And we're collaborating at Legends of Sport with Vanessa Bryant, Kobe's widow, on a coffee table book to be a complement to the Mamba Mentality book, which Kobe and I did, that really documents and honors the murals all over the world that have gone up for Kobe and Gigi since their passing. We know about about 640 murals. She's going to handpick ones that we will actually go out, photograph, photograph the muralist, speak to the artist, speak to the building owner. So stay tuned on that. That's still a while away until that book comes out, but we've started the process. And I'm thrilled to be working with her because it's it's a gift to be able to still be able to give that in some way. I always ask, are there songs you're still chasing? But at 80 shows, that may be a tougher question. I'll (laughs) also ask, are there podcast guests that you're still chasing? Oh, for sure. Absolutely. It's a never ending list, man. Look, I it's my podcast. So I got to set the rules. So we, I said, guys, get to my producer and my editors, I'm going to do a whole series of legendary photographers. Okay. They can be sports photographers. They don't have to be sports photographers. Yeah. So we've had the greats like Neil Leifer and Walter Yost and a, a lot of my colleagues that I work side by side with for years. But then we had Pete Souza on who has White House photographer, Barack Obama's photographer for eight years. I'm a huge fan of Pete. Of course, Pete's a big Bruce guy. Pete yeah. is shot Bruce, and he told great stories about Bruce playing to the staff in the East Room and the whole thing. So that was great. Had Danny Clinch on recently, which was absolutely mind-blowing. So that whole legendary photographers thing, there's still a few out there that I really would just love to get. Neil Eifer was fantastic, by the way. It's literally going to the one of the heads on the Mount Rushmore of sports photography and putting him on Zoom and talking to him. But there's some athletes that I would love to interview. I haven't talked to Michael Phelps yet. I would love to talk to him. I would love to talk to Simone Biles. There's some baseball players like Big Poppy. I'd love to talk to Big Poppy. I would love to talk to Troy Aikman. Was near and dear to your heart because yes. I actually photographed Troy when he was at UCLA. Oh, and nice. Spent, yeah, we spent three or four days together when he was a senior shooting the recruiting brochure for UCLA football and spent went to class with him, did all kinds of stuff. He was couldn't have been the nicest, nicest guy. Amazing. Yeah. But some broadcasters I haven't had. I would love to talk to Bob Costas. Yeah, I've talked to Doris Burke. I've talked to Mark Spears, I've talked to Mike Breen, people like that. Phenomenal. Mike Tirico, big Bruce guy. I don't know if you knew that, but no, huge Bruce fan. So Gosh. we've had Bruce conversations like by the truck in the loading dock. At in, I remember we were in Utah for the playoffs and some producer had to come grab him because we were deep into a Bruce conversation. <laughs> he had to go record something yeah. pregame. Anyway, this is a lot of fun. And I'm just putting this out there in case he's listening. But the boss himself, there is a sports angle, as we know, okay? Glory yes. Day, iconic, right? Yes. One of the early videos that really actually had a little bit of traction back in the day. Yeah. And I know what a big sports fan he is. I've seen him back in the day when they lived in L- when he lived in L.A. Yeah. He would come to Laker games. He would come to some Kings games. I saw him yeah. at Dodger Stadium a couple of times. Yeah. Well, yeah, you never know. 
You never yeah, know. There Jeff. we you go. Get out there, sometimes, sometimes yeah. the fish bite. <laughs> Good. Yeah, I've had a couple of photographers. I had Dinky on. Jermaine <laughs> with her Liberty Hall book was amazing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's great. Andy, I feel like we've just scratched the surface, but I, unfortunately, I need to go. So if someone wants to reach you, how can they? Instagram is always a great place to go. So my Instagram is at ADB Photo Inc. Also at Legends of Sport on Instagram. We do a lot of cross uh, pollination there. Our YouTube channel is Legends of Sport and we're building that incrementally. And our website, legendsofsport.net, that's a home base where you can find all the podcasts. Of course, our podcast is on every platform. Our home base is iHeart, but of course you can find us anywhere. And all the episodes like yours are there. So you can just scroll down and find somebody that is going to appeal to you. And we love to get comments, love to get DMs. I love to get reactions from people or even suggestions as to guests. I would love that. I think that's how I found out about you is that a friend of mine said, yeah, there's a few Bruce podcasts out there, but this is the one you got to listen to. Oh, that's very sweet. What happened? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Thank you. Yeah. When you get Bruce on, you can come back and tell me about it. Or when you're ready to promote the new book, I'd love to have you back on. Absolutely. Um, before I let you go, though, we got to do the Mary question, which yeah. is how I end every podcast. If you're a fan of Andy's work and that's or his podcast, that's how you found this one. Jay Armstrong, who was an honors English teacher in the Philadelphia area, now retired. Mm-hmm. But when he was teaching, he would give his students the lyrics to Thunder Road, and they would read them, treating as if it was a poem, talk about the imagery Bruce uses, talk about the themes he explores. And then he would ask his students at the end of the class, does Mary get in the car? Andy, that is your question. 100% yes. Yeah, absolutely. First of all, I'm a romantic and I'm an optimist, all right? The, the whole buildup is her getting in the car. The entire song is about that, right? From the minute we see her dress swaying or waving, we don't know, right? Anyway, that's a whole other conversation. But yes, she definitely gets in the car. And I'll even go a step further because I think 27 years and nine albums later, that's the same Mary in Mary's place. Yeah, one of my what favorite yeah, one of my favorite answers is someone said that Moonlight Motel is him mourning Mary. That's very much possible. And yeah. Bruce himself talked about that in some interview I saw where he's, yeah, those are my characters back from Wild and Innocent or, by the way, which is 50 years old this week, is absolutely beyond my blowing. Yeah. But that it's that's the progression. They were kids. Yeah. They were jumping in cars and racing in the street. And yeah. now they're sitting on the porch. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, the other one brought up racing in the streets, right? The porch that she's sitting on is the same porch that she danced across. And I went, yeah. oh, yeah, there you go. That's interesting. Uh, I never thought of it, but it, yeah. it's very much yeah. possible. Yeah, absolutely. Andy, this is a blast. Thank you so much. You're welcome anytime. I hope everyone checks the podcast, checks out your work, and I will include some links in the show notes. Yes, you open invite. If you're here in Dallas, let's sit together and we'll break bread and have a good time. Absolutely. 100%, my friend. So great to meet you through Bruce. Yeah. That's how life works. And appreciate you having me, Jesse. Really fun conversation. Good. I'm glad. 
All right, listeners, thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting the podcast. Go check out Andy's work on Instagram and the website, the podcast. But for now, be safe, be kind, and we'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. There we go. Another episode. I'm about to go through a couple of things where you can reach me and give me feedback. Um, So if you want to skip this, I understand. But I do hope you check it out every once in a while. I'm available on Twitter at Jesse Jackson DFW. The show is available at setlustingbruce. You can send me an email, setlustingbruce at gmail.com. You can send me a voicemail at 469-249-2442. I am currently doing a few other podcasts, perfectly good podcast, John Hyatt from A to Z, where Sylvan Groth and I discuss every John Hyatt song in alphabetical order. My Babylon 5 podcast is Last Best Hope for Conversation, where Lou, Karen, and I discuss every episode of Babylon 5 in chronological order. I still am doing Next Stop Everywhere, the Doctor Who podcast with my brother in time, Charles Skaggs. And then finally, How Many Podcasts, the only podcast on the internet that counts, where my buddies and I discuss pop culture. You can go to our Patreon page and support the podcast for as little as a dollar a month. You can go to our Facebook page, like, and please, please go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and leave a five-star rating and review for all of the podcasts that I'm doing. It's okay if you don't listen to them, but if you subscribe and rate, it really will make my day better. Thank you, and I will talk to you soon. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, said Listening Bruce. The theme for Set Listening Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.